And welcome back to Fully Equip. Jonathan Wall here, joined as always by my guys, Andrew Tursky and Chris McCormick. We're in different locales. Tursky and I are on the West Coast. We'll, we, have, we have a special guest this week. Be, be a good interview. Dr. Robot. Dr. Robot, that's right. And Mr. McCormick is... He's got, I don't know, man, we, we're we we're like looking out over the uh, the water here in San Diego. It's a pretty, pretty good view. view. Although I, I think Chris probably gets the, he probably gets the win. I, I knew you guys were going to be out in San Diego this week. I had to, I had to do something to provide some entertainment as far as the, the views go. Yeah. He's up with the mountain lions right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting on one to come popping up over this rock right here. Yeah, this this is a first for us with with somebody doing the pod from from the mountains, like literally on his hike. He just you know pops in and does a podcast, brings his pod gear with him when he when he goes hiking. We all do that, right? Yeah, do you just have pod gear in your backpack? And also, what's the Wi-Fi situation up there? Yeah, I've got a got a little mobile hotspot here. I'm rocking. Got some 5G on the side of the mountain. No big deal. Pretty solid. Are we going to address the rumors from last week? I don't even know if I know the rumors. Well, we were getting accused of maybe uh, doing some substances prior to the podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know those island boys. <laughs> there was, there, yeah, we got a couple of messages. People asking if we were if we were on something last week when we did the pod. I mean, they we're, thought we were potting high. We're, we're high on life. Jeez. We're high gosh. on life. That's it. S- such accusations. They're trying to bold snitch on accusations us, at that. There are a lot of snitches. I'm starting to realize this I know. more and more. It's no joke. You gotta be careful out here in these uh, golf equipment podcast streets, man. It's no joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Rumors addressed. There we go. Golf so, equipment time. High on life. Golf equipment time. All right. Well, still quiet time of the year. You know, I, I do worry sometimes if we're going to have enough content to, to do a podcast every week. But without fail, we've always got something. Something always pops up. So, Morikawa's bag. Colin Morikawa, Tursky, you shot his gear recently. You did a rundown of what he has in the bag. What do we got? Getting right into it, huh? I mean, why why not? Am, am I not giving you enough time to to pull it up on your computer? <laughs> well, yeah, let's jump into <laughs> I it. Here. Necessarily prepared. I, so so let me just. I'm just gonna head over to golf.com. <laughs> let really me quick. just start with a story about about Colin Morikawa. <clears throat> okay. So I've mentioned this story a couple of times, but you know, TrackMan does a TrackMan combine. Yep. That that anybody can do. Pros do it, and and they have they have rankings for. Basically, how accurate? How accurate are you? How, it's basically like a worldwide contest. Yeah, yeah. Like how, how good are you? How good are you? And when Colin was in college, he did a TrackMan combine, and the combine told him that his six iron was as good from an accuracy perspective as most elite players with their pitching wedge. Yeah, it's sickening. Think about that one. For that is sickening. Well, he's one of the best iron players since Tiger Woods. Yeah, I mean we've we've talked about kind of who his comp is, and I I do think it's Tiger. I mean, some people think that's preposterous, but he's he's really good when he's in the lead, 
I mean, we when he won the Open, he had a lead, and I was. I mean, he made some big putts down the stretch, mm-hmm. but I like genuinely felt like he was going to close the door, even with like four holes left. You know, there wasn't any like, eh, it's starting to leak oil. So he, 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 he certainly has that. Like you know, when you need to hit it to eleven feet on the right side of the hole, fat of the green, he's going to do it every time. Like he's not going to miss in a bad spot. He's going to put it right where it needs to be put. Ultimate precision, really. So, yes, when I was at the CJ Cup, I got in-hand photos of Rory's clubs, who won. And I also got in-hand photos of Colin Morikawa's clubs. Who finished, finished second. Second. So, are we, saying, are we saying that you're that you're now the guy when it comes to... Kind of. Kind of the, I mean, the, not guy, not the guy with that. the golden camera? Like you, you, like you take pictures, like in hand photos of guys, you know, clubs. And hey, you want to win, bud? They, let they me, finish. Let me go through your bag real quick. All right, that's that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. All right, so we're just gonna go through some photos here. I'm gonna tell you what I, uh, what pops out at me. Yeah, I mean that's that's the, that's kind of the whole reason that we do this now. And again, it's one of our probably one of our more popular features on the website. People like seeing the clubs that the pros play. I like analyzing the clubs that the pros play, and that's, I like that's I like job. talking. That's your job. All right, talk to him. Big talker. So <laughs> that's not <laughs> he's, true. <laughs> he's still got the uh, the TaylorMade sim, the original TaylorMade sim. He does prefer to hit a fade, so it doesn't really surprise me that he's still playing the sim, which really we've seen be a more fade bias product. Yeah, when we when we did when we did robot testing a couple of years ago, that that was the general consensus with the robot, and it's same thing with with, with the you know player testing so does that check out chris would you say sim 2 is a little bit more draw bias than the original sim oh 100 yeah that that original sim is just auto fade for so many guys and guys that like to get that ball working left to right that's that's definitely a go-to club sim sim 2 is a good driver um don't get me wrong but I, I think that's why we saw guys like dj in and Colin in particular. Yep. Faders. Stick, stick, faders. They prefer yeah. to fade. They don't want to see the ball go left. Yep. So yep. a lot of those type players stayed in the sim. Uh, he has the weight in the neutral setting. He does have it two clicks higher on the, on the hosel. It's eight degrees, but two clicks higher. Um, one of my favorite parts of taking photos in hand is seeing the faces of these clubs. Now, you look at the driver – and they have those like internal scoring lines. They're kind of circular, like the little, they're basically dots. They're like little short lines. And he just fills those in with black Sharpie. I, lo- I love those custom jobs. It's like, we've, we've hey, seen a couple. Just give me the Sharpie yeah. marker. We don't have to do anything crazy. We've seen a couple of guys do that just to, just to kind of, I guess, sort of like fake their eyes a little bit. Like they're used to seeing yeah. like a certain look. So you just get the Sharpie in there and it sort of changes the visual. Just eliminate distractions. Yep. Um, now, Tursky, do you, do you prefer the Sharpie method or do you appreciate a guy that just packs on lead tape more? Where are you going to go for the custom job? I mean, the Sharpie makes me laugh because it's like, you know, these guys have access to, to prototypes and builders who could just dial them in with anything they want in the world. And it's like, <laughs> you can get a Sharpie at CVS. <laughs> it's just great. I love that. I mean, I'm a sucker for the lead tape look, though. There's just something, I don't know. It's so cool, the lead tape to me. And then they, like, scratch it's, it in. and Yeah, it's it's kind of the old, like, the old school. It's like that workshop feel. look. Yeah. Just fresh out of the garage. Yeah. 
I like the lead tape where it's, you know, basically like now it's like part, it's like one with the metal. Like it's super clean. No, like it's super old, so that yeah, it's like right, right, yeah, right. but it's like one, it's like one with the metal. Like you yeah, can't like really tell, it's like you can't really tell, yeah, where the something. lead tape like yeah. begins and ends. Yep, uh, that that's my best. favorite. Yep, yep. Okay, so moving more through the bag, we have this segment. This segment was not planned out, as you can tell by Tursky's. <laughs> Tursky's delay. I mean, delay. I'm just going through my article on golf.com. <laughs> Well, if you notice here on his five wood, his it looks like his strikes are a, are a little bit more like centered, uh, just like slightly toe. Center high toe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the three wood's directly in center. Yeah, it's it's pretty much what you'd expect to see from a robot. That that's Colin Morikawa. <laughs> I was about to say that a guy. That's what Gene should start calling his robot. Ooh. Well, you Colin just, Moore robot. You just. You just Colin Mori robot. Oh man, Gene might actually steal that one. I don't think he will. So he's got the original TaylorMade Sim three wood Rocket fourteen, a little bit lower loft. But then he's got the Sim two five wood. I wonder if there's any reason why he's a little bit more toward with the five wood than the three wood. Is that a lie angle thing, maybe, Chris? He's just taking something off. He's just that good. Oh, no, I mean Sim two. Guy. I would expect to to be a little bit more spinny so i mean if he's got that five wood looking for a little more spin a little higher launch maybe a little more control coming into the greens are we saying this might be on purpose i did hear um that freddie couples does that he hits it way out on the toe of his wedges absolutely could be i thought that was pretty pretty interesting that's pretty crazy i'm just trying to on purpose i'm just trying to hit somewhere let's say yeah i'd just like to have some sort of consistency um, interestingly, like Rory, he goes 60 grams on his driver, then up to 80 for the three wood and fairway wood. I think you always want to go a little heavier on the fairway woods, but I know Tiger back in the day, he would do what, 70, 80, 90, or 60, 70, 80, kind of increments, but. You know what's kind of interesting about going from. 60 to 80 is he he actually won with the uh 70 gram when he won the open championship okay so he switched it out for so he switched he, so he, he switched he switched it out wow so maybe he, he's that's so interesting wild. how do you tell the difference between 10 grams because didn't you say did you say he's in a 60 now turski 60 driver he so he and he was and in a seven he was in a 70 oh he was in a 70 driver so he's gone light he's gone lighter okay in in driver by 10 grams interesting i think a lot of people should be going lighter right chris i think i think people tend to go too stiff i would probably too de- heavy probably depend on like how light you're gonna go i mean i, I mean, chris can speak to this better than i can but i wouldn't probably go down more than like 10 with like that might that might really change the the feel mm-hmm. and how you how you're loading that club if, if you go really light i mean with feel being subjective yeah you can it's generally better to go a little bit lighter for some more control, more speed. Uh, it just depends on the player. I mean, feel is so subjective. One player might swing it better with heavier, whereas the same guy uh, might be all over the place going. It, it's it's just so subjective to the player. Okay, so get fit. Standard theme. <laughs> Moral of the standard story. Theme just, on this, just get yeah, fit. Standard theme on this topic. And then uh, – as Jay Wall said, Colin's basically the most accurate iron player 
of the last couple decades, but yet he only has P730s, which are the blades, pitching wedge to 7-iron. Then he switches into the P7MCs for the 5 and 6, and then the P70 for the 4-iron. Even Colin needs forgiveness. Yeah, I mean, we I like we it. Dis- we discussed this one in uh, in a previous pod because he he changed up his irons. Remember for the Open Championship? Yeah. He was he was just kind of noticing that his like that like go to shot that he that he wanted to hit that kind of a little bit of a little bit of draw in there mm-hmm. was just like overcooking a little bit too much, yep. and so he was having he was having to to adjust on the fly like during the tournament. So he he next the week of the open championship he tested irons and he went to a completely different setup and um you know spin numbers and a lot of that had to do just it was like the turf was a lot firmer over there and so the way that the club was interacting with the turf it was more beneficial for him to switch out the irons that week it was it was pretty crazy change for a guy like we've talked about it's so dialed but he he found a better setup with with different irons going through the turf now most golfers that wouldn't be the case but um yeah, I mean he's 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 got a blended set. It's, I mean those M, those MCs are still, like I know crazy small, very <laughs> little offset, are compact and thin, very little offset. Yeah. So it's not like a huge. Yeah, you still have the majority of players out there that aren't going to be gaming that club. I mean, even though it's a little more forgiving than an MB, it's still definitely player oriented. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's. I would say if somebody were to come to me and and ask like what kind of handicap range would you put on the MC? I'm going scratch to probably about like a five. Mm-hmm. But I, that's pro- I probably wouldn't the, go higher than the that. The wheelhouse of golfers, you know, people in there will go blades. And it's like, why? Why are we going blades? Like bag appeal can't be that important. Just take the little extra forgiveness. The profiles are basically the same. Feel is still right up there. We should do a robot test on that. I think. I'm down. <laughs> I'm definitely down. <laughs> do a robot test on that. We keep. We keep dropping the name Gene. We haven't even we haven't even we'll said get to it. Well, we will get to it. Gene Parenti, the goat. Okay, and this is really why we uh, we got into this segment right here. It's Colin Morikawa's custom wedge. I know this is a big serial podcast. Let's let's see. What, can we can we let's see what the experts have to say about his choices? Can we stop for a second and talk about the the text? We we of course we have a text chain. Yeah, and of uh, course, of course, Chris Chris throws a photo up there of a cereal this week chris what cereal did we have uh we had golden grams golden grams but this wasn't just any box of golden grams this was this not was just retro any box gold. Retro. original recipe which means they've been snaking us for years what so so <laughs> what is so what exactly was the the retro was it has like the like the real sugar no it was uh made with real honey that was the seller honey that's the yeah. retro so recipe made with real honey. honey. I was about to say, if so, if, if the retro has the real, the real good stuff, what's the stuff that everybody's been eating for years until they went back to the retro? I want to get my hands on some real honey and then some fake honey. Let's do a blind taste test, see which one's better. Do a blind taste test? <laughs> I don't yeah. think you'd be able to tell the, the difference. The Coke and Diet Coke challenge. I can definitely tell a difference there. I mean, could you, if with as much time as much time that we spend around clubs? Could you tell the difference between driver sounds if you if you were like did a blind test? I think I could get the company. Think so? Yeah, I could probably be, get the company. Models would be tough. Could you? I think that'd be fun. Like hit drivers blind and, and see if you can name the name the OEM. I think it would also be fun like 
just looking down in an iron from a dress and trying to name the model like company and model you don't get to see the back badging at all like mm. you only oh, company you and model Ooh. yeah head shape offset top line like how good are we i feel like <laughs> i could do fairly well again i think i could get i think i could get company and i probably, probably do better i probably do better with irons than uh, driver sound don't have a very good ear for stuff the, where it would get tricky was in <laughs> no the comment. MB lines and in those blade irons for a lot of the companies. Yeah. Some of them are looking really similar. You can just tell, like, the difference between, uh, like, groove layout and a lot of the toes are, like, super differently shaped. Yeah, toe shape's yeah. A, a pretty good giveaway. Yeah. Okay, but, okay, back to the cereals experts. <laughs> I'm telling you, this group chat is all serial photos and like new releases and so stuff. We got it's wild on this wedge. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yep, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. That's, Beautiful. That's a number one. I what, mean, that's, that's a great Cocoa choice. Puffs. Cocoa Puffs. Frosted Done. Flakes. Done. Captain Crunch. And then Captain Crunch. I mean, that's that's like a Mount Rushmore of cereals right there. You could, you could yeah, those like, are all staples. Say. Those are staples I in there. I think those were all in like our top five when we did that the uh, the other month. Yeah. I, I would I would I would say yes. There's no Lucky Charms. That's a huge miss. Mm, big miss on the Lucky Charms. Yep. But I, I mean, can, as long I as you got Cinnamon Toast Crunch in there, I mean, I I'm can happy. respect it. Yeah, Cinnamon Toast <laughs> Crunch has got to be on there. But his wedge is a clear cut number one. This I mean, this is so Aaron Dill does all these wedges. Masterful. For Vokey. and this this 55 degree. It's a 56 bent to 55. SMA wedge that that colin has i mean it is a, like a literal work of art yeah it has like a milk carton it's got the bowl with the cereal in it you say a what carton <laughs> milk carton milk yeah huh. not a milk carton a milk milk carton <laughs> milk look at this look at this guy all right wow. no but it is awesome the, the layout um <laughs> the colors it's artistic seriously that's got to take a lot of time i got turski trying to but I am curious. I, we just got to remind the, the people, uh, Chris. So a 56 degree bent to 55. How does that change the structure of the club and the sole? So, I mean, it doesn't necessarily change the structure. I mean, as you start to manipulate loft, you are going to be changing bounce a little bit. So, I mean, he could have done it for a couple of different reasons. I mean, he, he could have just needed that particular loft for a specific gap that he was looking for. Or he also could have been looking for a little bit different turf interaction. So changing the bounce, adding loft, taking loft away does add and subtract bounce accordingly. Uh, so it could have been a couple of different reasons. I mean, he may have just trying to, or been trying to fill a gap for the distance and then did a little grind on the bottom of the wedge to keep the bounce where it was prior to the bend. Uh, I mean, one degree is not huge game-changing. So I would assume he's probably looking for just filling that loft gap. Is there a, there's a rule like one degree equals what of bounce? So when you change loft? Yeah. So every degree of loft is generally two degrees of bounce. Okay. And that's the same with uh, wedges and irons, right? noted that's all i got on colin we can continue on there we go do we want to go through the rest of his bag or is that we're just gonna talk about the pictures you took oh speaking of um 
food and beverage. While we're uh, while we're on food and beverage, I know I know producer Mark has some concerns about my consumption of Powerade. Yeah, we we, we need to have a we need to have an intervention here. We either need an intervention I, or I don't this have is just going to be a straight up about, argument. I don't have concerns. He's about living your in your head, rent free. I have Mark. concerns about what type of person I'm I'm sh- working with and what other <laughs> disturbing things might he do if that's what probably he probably don't want to know. Powerade. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about it. I set the stage for you, Mark. So, yeah, we're, we're sitting here. Tursky's here last week. He's on the phone. He's inventorying clubs for club test. And I look over, and I see him go and get a cup, and he has a bottle of Powerade. And he comes back with a cup and his Powerade and a bottle of water, and he pours the Powerade in and then just starts topping it off with water. And I just – pictured him you know just putting other people's skin on at home uh <laughs> as as i watch him as i watch him mix powerade with water <laughs> it's not even close to the same thing okay well first oh, he's man. he's got first bodies all, in a freezer at home it's a thing <laughs> first of all let me let me explain here he's pouring water in his powerade one he's offing people and putting them in his deep freezer I mean, yeah, it puts the lotion on its skin. I get it. I got the whole vibe now. Okay. First of all, I'm a drink mixer. I like mixing drinks. I like mixing lemonade with iced tea. I like mixing Tito's with lemonade a and lot. water. The last couple of nights, that's been the go-to <laughs> for sure. Well, here, here's my explanation on the Tito's lemonade and water. You can, you know, get a little tipsy while you're also hydrating. So it's kind of multifaceted. But when it comes to Powerade, like, have you ever had a blue Powerade on its own? It's, like, so sugary and syrupy, it has to be cut. What's amazing That's why. is that we're talking about cutting sugar, but all of the cereals in our power rankings yeah, nothing, are, are packed nothing, with sugar. Sugar-packed sugar cereal. The exact opposite. <laughs> and, it's, and it's, like... There's a hard line in, drawn in the sand between water and the Powerade and... Cereal, sugary cereal. It serves a dual purpose. It cuts that syrupy sugary, so you just get a nice refreshing beverage with a little bit of sugar in it. And it also extends the life of the Powerade. Like if I'm there all day at work and I only have one Powerade, I'm not just going to drink the Powerade, then drink bland water for the rest of the day. Like you have to make sure you. No. He's extending I, the life of his Powerade. I get it. Tur- extending the life guy. of the Powerade. So I shouldn't be surprised that he pours water in his So you guys don't cut Powerade or Gatorade? I mean, I only drink sports drinks after I've worked out. I don't just, like, sip them as I'm, like, unboxing golf clubs. I was working out. I was unboxing (laughs) golf clubs. (laughs) That was the cardio for the day. (laughs) You know how many times I've had to slice boxes open? Well, at least you kept them out of the days in this trip. Let's just say that. Yes, it is a win. I'm in a nice high. No no days. Beautiful view on the the 22nd floor me and jay wall hanging out All right. i was i was over well, there when he was doing the inventory i mean it, it definitely looked like it was qualifying as cardio there were reps being put in the amount of packaging some of those uh oems send their stuff in don't make me don't make me mute you chris i tore my tricep <laughs> last week just on on opening boxes and you already have a busted toe yeah i got a broken toe now i got a torn <laughs> tricep a bust, wild it's wild busted toe wiggle and 
now have to be expensing like doctor's visits. Workers' comp. How? What was, when was the last time they had a workers' comp uh, filing at, at for for golf equipment? For golf equipment. Yeah, for a, for a golf company. <laughs> they're, about, they're about to get one. I'm gonna have to go back on the injured reserve for flag football. I uh, they can't have that. All right. Well, there's the most interesting things in Colin Morikawa's bag from the incomparable Andrew Tursky. Apparently, I wear skin suits at home. So, <laughs> All right, just let, a let's, little water and powering. Let's, let's you know do I mean? let's do our wow. picks, and, and then we'll get into the rest of the gear topics this week. So, we've got the Worldwide Technology Championship at Mayakoba. That is a mouthful. Special place. It should just be the World Wide Web Championship at Mayakoba. But whatever. I did play an AJGA event there. It didn't go great score wise, but man, what a beautiful place. Yeah, we were still talking in the about still in the field. locales for uh, for AJGA events. Chris, did you play AJGA? No, I was uh, I was bowling. No AJGA <laughs> he was for me. He was with I, was, I was bowling. Priority, son. Priority, That's it. son. Come on, son. Saint lunatics rolling rocks. <laughs> for real, rolling rocks. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's actually a pretty if solid. You want to go field. and take a ride with me? Find me at oh the bowling alley. It's a solid field this week in Mayakoba. I mean, there there are some some big names in this field. I think they probably want to yeah. they want to hang at Mayakoba. I don't blame them. BetMGM, as usual, if you want to make a bet on this week's tournament, check out BetMGM. Type in BetMGM on your phone. Download the app. Still have that free, risk-free first wager up to a thousand dollars. Yep. So if you want if you want the, the risk-free first wager, make sure you type in bonus code fully equipped at BetMGM and get that get that paper. Great platform. Honestly, and if you and if you on. lose it, you're gonna get your money back. So. Great props, great odds, yep. easy to use platform. Alright. So who are we picking this week? Last week was not good. I Didn't think go well. It was producer Mark. Did you have did you have the best the best pick? Chris picked two, so he's he's disqualified. He did he did mention P. Reed, but he also m- mentioned Duff Duff City. So yeah, I, we were we were opposite ends of the spectrum with my pick. <laughs> yeah, Duff City was the uh, official pick of Chris. Thank uh, you, producer producer Mark is clarifying. It was it yes, was Duff City. And, clarifying. Garrick Higo, the Island Boy himself, was the highest finisher of our little group here. Um, does that mean that I should perhaps kick this off? I think you should. You have honors. Okay. Honor. Looking at your honor, your honor. MGM, this gentleman is plus 6,600. Wow. Won- We're going bigger odds. I like it. Has not won on tour in a while, but this is a place where it's going to be a birdie fest. The last five winners have all been over 20 under par. And... You know, distance doesn't really matter in Mayakoba. Kevin Streelman, the dude. Colin Streel's a short knocker? Wow. That wow, shots fired. I'll we'll have to let him know. Oh, no, I'm saying, you know, he, he's... He, you call him a now short he's, knocker. Now he's backtracking. You said it. Saying he's, he's not the biggest driver. That's not the strength of his game. It's greens and regulation. It's putting. Kevin Streelman, plus 6,600. Let's go. And he said he's not strong. He said he's a short knocker and he's not strong. Wow. 
We just already know who Trubisky is is taking, so we don't even need to to do a pick for him. No reason to to waste any breath on that one. Willie Z plus thirty five hundred. I already know it's coming. Listen, I'm rooting for Willie Z, but I'm not picking him this week. That is that's not. I'm not oh. going to double up on picks. Oh yeah, I'm not going right. to double up on uh-huh. picks like Chris last All week. Right. Cheating. I I was just taking a time. chapter out of your book, Tursky. Am, am I up? You are up. You're not taking Trilly Z. So. I feel like um, my Cove is not a very difficult course, but I feel like it's a ball striking arena. I feel like the best ball striker is going to win out this week. Greens aren't too difficult. And I always think Keegan Bradley, great ball striker. Shoe game is, well, some people don't like it, but I kind of like the shoes. The high top custom Jordans. He doesn't putt great, but you know he's going to be sticking it all week. So I'm going Keegan at plus four thousand. Get it done, Keegs. All right, Chris, what do we got? Well, I have to go Zalatoris now, just out of principle, since uh, since Tursky passed on him this week. He's got to wow. be in the rotation. He's got to be in the rotation. I Imagine feel like it's not a it's not a it a fully equipped pick without somebody yeah. picking Zalatoris if he's in the field. You know what? Thank you for picking him. Someone has to pick him every week. Well, it's actually kind of a, a kiss of death because my picks are always absolutely terrible. Yeah, don't, don't thank him. Absolutely Kirsten. the worst. We're the worst. <laughs> don't, don't thank him. He just he just dropped the biggest kibosh on any chance. Truly, he had to. Win. Yeah, any anybody that's that's listening to our advice for picks, don't take anybody that we take, except maybe yeah, for Mark's on. picks. Go on bet MGM for yourself for sure, and go shopping for a better pick than we got. We are the ultimate mushes. All right. Well, speaking of ultimate mushes, I'm going to mush this guy's chances. Okay. Fortunate <laughs> because he's a great guy. Probably one of the best putters in the world. Well, he's been pretty quiet recently, but I think he's going to have a big week. Going to find himself in the winner's circle again. And as we head into 2022, we're going to be talking about him going into the Masters. I'm just going just gonna to shoot my shot. Okay. Justin Rose, plus 5,000. Did you say one of the best putters in the world? Yeah. I guess statistically. Rose, recently. statistically. Yeah. 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 Statistically, I know, yeah. I know you weren't talking about Sergio, so. I, I was I was not. So, no. Jay Rose. No offense, Sergio. I think he's, he's going to have a – he's going to have a week. This is – this is it's not a comeback because he didn't ever – he never left. Don't call it a comeback. Yeah. Been here for years. That's huh? right. So, all right, Jay Rose, plus 5,000. Okay. What's going on, Hunch? That's your boy. I, I have no boys. <laughs> I'm just, no boys. just professional. I don't play. Fa- I don't. Unbiased, I don't. I don't play favorites. Professional I don't, gambler. I don't play favorites in this in this game. Yep. So, so there are it's picks. Cold world. Everybody's going to be missing cuts. Trunk slamming week. But again, if you want to take our picks, good luck. Have and if you're going to do it, speed. I mean, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna lose money. So so take BetMGM up on that. Risk-free first wager. Mm-hmm. Again, use bonus code fully equipped if you want to lose money, but then also get that money back. Download the BetMG app, app today. Don't forget that this is for new customers only, and it's going to be pr- paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, or Wyoming only. 
excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and Wyoming. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 1-800-889-9789 in Indiana. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Here we go. That's how you do an ad read. Every, Bang. Every week. It's impressive. I, impressive. I try. That's I one take, too. I try. It is, it I saw is, it happen it in is, person It right is one here. take. You really one take, dude. All right, so there are terrible picks. Back to the gear. <laughs> you know, the... <laughs> That was the terrible pick segment. <laughs> terrible pick segment. Ed. There's, there's, there's truly, there's no reason that you should be following any of those picks. Seriously. All right. Now, this is an interesting one only because we, we rarely see it. But I was doing some research, and I found out that this pro is not the only one who's removed an iron from the middle of the set. So earlier this year, we talked about on the pod, Webb Simpson. Wanted mm. to add a fourth wedge to the bag. Made a whole bunch. I mean, I called it a gear chain reaction because it was like he was bending lofts, removing clubs. He removed a six iron from the bag. Yep, I remember that um, now. Yeah, now that you bring it yep. up. So, and it was. I mean, we thought it was crazy. I mean, who who just removes a random six iron? But I think it highlighted the fact that, and I've believed this for a long time. The the numbers on the golf clubs, they don't matter. Sorry, it really all comes down to loft. And it highlights the importance of getting fit and checking what those loft gaps are. As the great Chris McCormick would once have said before, I think Lucas Herbert had a rat in the bag. Rat I've, in the I've bag. Heard Chris say that. A rat, a rat in the bag. Rat in the bag. So, um, so Lucas won the Bermuda event, and Persky and I were going through the winner's bag. And we both notice it. So he plays up a set of tailor-made P7TWs. Those are the Tiger Woods designed irons. But he just, like, took out a 5-iron. And at first I thought maybe that was a mistake. Maybe, maybe just, just, just a minor oversight. He plays a 3 and a 4-iron, by the way, in the P7TWs. That, you got to be a gamer to play, like, a 3 and a 4-iron. model, yeah. In, like the, in those, in those think, blades. You'd think with that kind of uh, switch-up. With the hole in the bag, like it would be a different model up top. Yeah, not you, the case. Yep. So he just took out a he just a blade five. He just pulls the Goodbye. five out. It's and so he he was quoted as saying it's pretty funny when I hit a six iron into a par three, and you watch the other caddies look into the bag and they only see a four iron and a seven iron, and they see a big gap in between and they have no idea. <laughs> so you're just you're just totally messing with these dudes when you when you pull when you yeah, pull six iron from the bag. Yeah. So. It's and I again I think this highlights the importance of of worrying more about your your lofts and and kind of that gapping to make sure that you have consistent yardage gaps carry carry gaps don't forget it's all about carry mm-hmm. don't all don't worry about, about that don't worry about that total number because that is that is not a way to go through life if you want if you want to hit <laughs> fairways and greens don't worry about the total number because that's going to change from week to week depending on the golf course you're playing and the the conditions. So always worry about the carry. So Lucas was saying that he is always been a great iron player. And as he was, as he was going through his bag, 
he's he's looking at kind of the carry distances and, and this you know like a lot of guys did during covid it's like it gives you the opportunity you know lucas said he got he got bigger and he got faster coming out but not too much you know he didn't get too big so it wasn't like he had these new gaps but he just started to see that as he goes through the bag he's got you know 190 yards seven iron 206 or 207 with the six iron and then he's at like 215 with the five iron now that's like i mean that's pretty tight would you call that a rat in the bag chris i mean just like a really like tight it's kind of getting close to that number it's it's a club that you probably aren't hitting all that often um maybe a club that you just don't need I, I think that's kind of the key right there that you just hit on is it's just not a number that he's probably seeing very often. So not a lot yeah. of justification to have it in the bag. I mean, 8 to 12 yards is kind of the the window for most of the guys out there as far as justification for having a spot in the bag. So, yeah. if I mean, if he's just not seeing that number come up week after week after week after week, why have it? Yeah. So that, and that's exactly what he came to the conclusion is it just really wasn't a club that was worth having. He had these 10-yard gaps on either side of his 5-iron when he was in actuality looking for probably around 13 to 15. So what he decides to do is strengthen the 6-iron, weaken the 4-iron. He ends up from the 4-iron all the way to the pitching wedge. The, the gaps he has in between are about 16 to 17 yards. Now, 16 to 17 is – getting a little bit i would say like on that that border of being like you don't probably want to go past like 17 i mean just i mean that's i mean I that's a lot, a lot as far as that's, what the yeah. average player would want to want to set their bag up at i mean 17 yards that's yeah that's a big gap between clubs for most guys out there yeah so 10 to 12 is really what you're looking for right yeah yeah, I mean, I would I would say yes. I mean, for the average golfer, you don't want to get much more than like ten, twelve. I think I think pros can probably. I mean, these they are the best players in the world. So if they feel like they can, you know, expand that gap a little bit. Yeah, plus like, they have a lot of speed, so just naturally those gaps are going to widen a little bit. But I think for you know an average amateur, that's yep. kind of the window they should be looking at. Carry, yeah, we talked about. So in yeah. that, I think that's important to, to highlight. Like you don't have to just if you've got a larger gap, you're, you shouldn't be like, oh yeah, I'm just like Lucas Herbert. I I can I can yeah. play that too. I I would agree. It, you know, if you have anything less than ten, then you've got a problem. Um, in his case, it was that it was ten on either side of the five iron, and it just felt too close. So he wanted to to kind of expand that a little bit, and then he went the rest of the way through the bag. So. It, but again, it, it just highlights the importance of checking those gaps. Get with get with a fitter. If you've never gotten fit for a set of irons, but you like your irons, maybe you don't have to get a different set. Maybe you just go in and find out that you need to weaken or strengthen a club in the bag just to give yourself a little bit of a of a more consistent gapping throughout the bag. I mean, and I think that's just what Lucas learned is you can do that. You can pull out the five iron if you don't feel like you need it. Um, not every golfer is going to be doing that, and for him, it allowed it allowed him to add a fourth wedge, kind of similar to Webb Simpson, which again, your tour pros are going to be using like a four wedge setup to their like that's an advantage to those guys. I don't necessarily think like a mid handicapper is going to benefit from. Four. I mean, I would rather like and Chris is Chris is the expert here, but in my I mean, if I was if I was a fitter and somebody was an inconsistent player. I'd rather them add like a longer club at the bag because they're probably going to use that far more often than they would like a fourth wedge. I don't know though because 
know, it's opposite. Are great hitting those half shots. Like, is it almost, really? You almost it's, want more it is. In the I mean, it's you want to go. Often, right? You want to go heavy in the scoring zone. Fitter. Yeah. I just. Well, it's, I mean, you think about it. You want those guys to have the ability to take more full swings more often. So if you have a wider spectrum of wedge lofts, now they can take those full swings going into greens. Whereas, I mean, the amateur player, the high handicap player, is not going to go pen hunting outside of about 160 yards. So if you're top heavy with extra hybrids, extra woods in the bag, that's just an opportunity for them to miss more greens. And now they wish they had those extra wedges. It's more about getting like a go-to club up there, like whether it's a five wood, seven wood hybrid, something like really forgiving they can hit that they're going to get airborne and that they can hit like basically between the tree line. So they're not hitting it out of bounds from 190 or 220. And then you say no, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, you wouldn't like. I always feel like you need kind of like two go tos at the top of the set, like I iron, like whether it's a utility iron or a hybrid. Like it always, at least for me, it always feels like there are like two numbers at the top where it's like I always have a, I always have two clubs, and those those clubs get used a lot. Yeah. Um. I mean, I agree with you. You sh- you should definitely have one. Yeah. That that's I mean, up there. That's that's versatile. When you say. 200 versus 211 like we're not really talking about dialing in on the pin it's more like well yeah something that you can just yeah something you can just get down there i mean maybe you hit the green from from 210 uh but yeah i I agree it's it's something that's not gonna that's not gonna put it out of play yeah and something you're not gonna top or like skull a lot you know yeah that's why i I, tell people to go away from three woods because it's like it's long it's a small head it's it's like the most topped club in the bag and that'll cost you more strokes than like the extra 12 yards is really going to get you compared to like a two hybrid. But yeah, that's just me. I'm biased. But I, do I mean, have a question, if you guys were going to rip one club out of the bag, what would, what would you rip out of the bag? And I'll start, I'm going with the putter. <laughs> we're just <laughs> ripping that thing right out, man. He's going to use, gonna, he's going to use the mini driver. Yeah, I'm bellying, I'm bellying a wedge. I'm done with it, man. I played the other day. It was can, rough. Can I? I'm just gonna tell a story. Rough. Uh, we we were we were at TaylorMade at the beginning of this week, and they were they were showing us new stuff that's coming. And um, I won't give anything away as far as product is concerned. But there there was a there what was a, a tease. There was a, there was a. I mean, we saw everything. We saw we saw all the stuff that you'd expect to see from from a new launch. But. Uh, yeah, we, we saw we saw a golf ball and Turski was rolling it. And let's just say that you could tell, based on the way that ball was rolling, that um, the boys the boys struggling. Hops around, it wobbles. <laughs> it, it wob- wobbles is being kind. It don't go where I'm aiming. I'll tell you that. It looks like a damn earthquake's going on with this golf <laughs> Listen, ball. I'm not a putting instructor. I've never seen a, I've never seen a ball never seen a ball roll like that from from like six feet away. I tell people all the time. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah, do not listen to him for putting. Do not do that. All right. Well, that's good to know. I mean, because I again, I've always said that that I I thought golfers could benefit more from a, another club at the top. You guys are saying the opposite, no and I, I do yeah. I do agree that you like that's a very valid reason for why you would want to add an extra wedge just so that you've got a full swing into into the hole. Yeah, a lot of your shots occur. I mean, one forty, one thirty, and in. Um, I used to go with only a three wedge setup. I would go 
pitching wedge 54 60 and i had a college coach basically like you're an idiot you need to hit more full <laughs> shots like you're not that good with your wedges bud calm it down and i was like all right let's let's throw in an extra wedge and it was kind of game changing for me honestly because i just felt so much more comfortable at a wider range of yardages and then you really is. only need I... two or three shots with each wedge instead of like trying to hit seven different shots with your 54 you know that's putting a lot of pressure on one club that's exactly it i mean you look at the the structure of the bag and you look at the total yardages that most of the the amateur players are are playing out there and if you've got an average male golfer that's driving it 230 to 250 yards and playing 370 yard par fours and you look at okay what's the consistent or average scoring yardage that they have coming into the greens i mean yeah loading it up with more wedges giving them more full swing opportunities is the way to go right all right you sold me that was easy yeah only took four minutes that's right didn't didn't take long jay wall's life twist twist my arm why not okay so a couple of quick topics i wanted to to get your take on the first did you see the special edition odyssey putter that was made for phil mickelson i heard it's going to be tough to get your hands on it is going to be tough to get your hands on i i'm gonna i'm gonna guess because i didn't i didn't actually check the the website to confirm but i'm pretty sure that it's that it's oh yeah the link that was going to the putter is now no longer active which would make me think that it's probably been Sold out. So sold out. So sold out. She there got were only 125 of these. Um, the best part about it, it was lefty only. Let's go. You didn't pick one up? They were $1,000. Oh, yikes. It's now and immediately resold on eBay for $2,500 plus. Yeah, <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. I haven't even looked to see what, what the secondhand market is. Uh, uh, Tursky, pull it up. Right Let's now. see what they're at. Yeah, I'm going So th- this putter is, is amazing. So what they did was they initially teased after phil won on the champions tour they said what if we brought out a replica version of phil's putter now here's the crazy thing phil's putter has never come out of retail he's used this custom odyssey like i mean i call it like an 8802 style blade for for three decades and they decided to come out with a replica version of the putter that Phil used to win the PGA Championship. So it's it's an exact replica, and that's why it's a thousand bucks. So it's made the head's made from three hundred three stainless steel. It has this deep double fly cut face milling that is used on Phil's putter, and it's supposed to reduce. They said reduce the frequency of the ball and head contact to give a softer feel. Um, it still has the exact same toe hang as Phil's putter, 71 degrees, comes with the same super stroke uh, pistol GT Tour grip, uh, has the same head cover that Phil used at Kiowa, the exact same head cover, which is pretty cool. Um, so they, they sold 125 of them, but they were all lefty. And I, was, I just loved that I was able to point that out. And there were a lot of righties that were pretty pissed. They said, uh, a couple of them said, now I know how you feel. I was like, yep. <laughs> was there a significance? Turnabout's fair play. Turnabout's fair play. Was there a significance with the, the number of the 125? I don't – I mean, I don't think so. I think it was just – It wasn't the 125th PGA, was it? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't was think it? so. I don't think it was. 
So that was that was they, but they're it's kind of part of their what was the their length small batch. They sold it at? The length that they sold it, at? I don't yeah. think that they mentioned the length. I think they were just he mentioning uses like a thirty-two inch putter or something. No, it's really short. Thirty-two is really tiny. It's pretty short. It's a shorty. I don't know what it is yeah. though. I don't think it's I don't think it's thirty-two. Maybe thirty-four. I'm looking it up. All right. Well, so that's the putter. It it's gone. It. Couldn't find it on the. Uh, I'm sure a lot of lefties are really happy. I'm sure they bought it. I'm sure some righties did buy it and just to try and resell it. A bunch of jerks. Oh, guaranteed. Took, guaranteed. Took took a took a putter from a lefty. So this website, I'm not going to say the site, but it says 32 inches in 2020. That's where Turski got. He's getting his information from other websites. That's dangerous. I'm just Googling it right now. <laughs> That's very, very, very dangerous. So We'll report back next yeah. week we'll, with we'll, an official we'll word from yeah. Odyssey. But they're, they're all gone. There was actually you – you couldn't even, like, go on the site and buy one. You had to enter it through a drawing. And then if you won, they contacted you and then gave you the opportunity to, to pay a 1,000 bones for for the putter. Man. But it's uh, It looks cool. I, I wish I could have ponied up the money for it, but I – Unfortunately, I did not. Although it didn't really matter because yeah, I probably could have lost anyway. I wouldn't. I, I have terrible luck when it comes to drawings, so I, I certainly would not have had my number called. I've never won a fifty-fifty or a drawing of any sort. Yeah, I was going to say I, I'm kind of getting the impression yeah. that when it comes to games of chance, we're none of us losers. are worth no, a shit we're, with we're anything. All, we're, <laughs> we're all we're all terrible. <laughs> That's why I'm like wondering. BetMGM they they hitched their. Uh, they hitched their wagon to the wrong set of horses. Well, they hitched it to the producer. Or did they? Every, every week, he just uh, yeah, nails bets Mark, and yeah, parlays. That's true. He's that like is a professional true. gambler. He is a professional gambler. Actually, He's just I mean, you think Mark. about it from BetMGM's perspective, and with us giving terrible advice, I mean, these guys are, are making money on losing bets, so maybe they uh, maybe they picked the right guys. See, we maybe. keep calling him Coach Mark instead of Producer Mark. Uh, Mark, would you like to give – the people an announcement an official announcement or i, I like how you uh, called me a prof- i love how you called me professional gambler and then transition to the fact i'm coaching high school basketball <laughs> uh let's 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 keep those two topics there, separate please are there so lines I can keep on my a, job on high school yeah can I, can I see does bet mgm have the lines on your games <laughs> I, it, I think they should. You know, it's, and what it are the is, gambling uh, rules these days in high school? It's class like, 5A yeah. basketball here like in Arizona. There's some good now. players there. So bet MGM. You want to put some spreads down? I will not bet on my own games. I will not hey, pull. Hey, kid. You want to play next week? Miss this, <laughs> this is free throw. <laughs> if not, you're well, riding yeah. the pine. Yeah, let's. Uh, riding the pine. Let's keep those two things separate. But, yes, I, I do excel at both, at least recently, in terms of gambling and uh Coaching, we'll see. It's my first time getting back into it in a couple of years and excited. Uh, practice has started and, uh, you know, won't affect the pod, but maybe give some updates on there so people can root along with the, the Paradise Valley Trojans. I do. I do plan We're on gonna need doing a, segment. a live. I, I do plan on doing a live podcast from and, a, and probably a TikTok too. And we're, and we're going to do a, a, a halftime and postgame interview with Mark. Well, I'm going to be in town for uh, for a decent amount of time. Maybe We're maybe it's it. going to be during one of his games, We're and we'll, we'll do we'll do a podcast from yep. from the game. Podcast two minutes after the whistle. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thanks, guys. Congratulations, though. Yes, that's awesome. Good luck Yay. on the season. I know you're making cuts tonight. That's always a uh, insert hard, applause. Hard pill, yeah, hard pill to swallow for the boys who don't make it, but. 
It's All reality. Right. Got to get the team dialed in. So we, we're going to get into the interview in just a minute, but I did want to point out some breaking gear news today. I mean, it's not, you know, a tour pro signing with another equipment company or anything like that, but it is it is like a strategic acquisition that I thought was interesting. TaylorMade announced that they have acquired Nassau Golf Company. So this is probably one of those where you're like, man, I thought TaylorMade made golf balls. Well, they definitely do. They're going to keep making golf balls. This is this is one of those where I think we we all know the the game of golf globally during the pandemic just exploded, Boom. and so the these companies are trying to to keep up with demand, and one of the ways that they're able to do that is is bringing more plants online. So uh, before the acquisition of of NASA, which is a it's a Korea based company, um, I'm sure some people out there have, have heard of NASA before. So they have actually been a part of the TaylorMade supply chain for over 15 years, and so they make the um, they make urethane and ionomer balls for TaylorMade, but they also make the mantles, the mantle layer for the TP5 and TP5X that goes directly to their South Carolina plant. So TaylorMade has a South Carolina plant. They also have a Taiwan plant. They acquired a company in 2019, opened up uh, TM Golf Ball Taiwan. Now they have. Nassau, which is located in Korea, massive golf hotbed we were talking about. They have yep. indoor uh, launch monitors just everywhere. It's everywhere. it's it's basically, I mean, when I went to Korea a couple of years ago, it, it is like, there's like a 7-Eleven on every corner. It's like you've got a place where you can go to an indoor hitting facility and, and you know, tee it up and just blow 30 minutes. So 7-Eleven, you can go on a launch monitor. Yep. So that's that's the main reason why they're they're doing this is they're just trying to kind of expand that global footprint. They still keep NASA making the the golf balls, but now it's underneath the the TM umbrella. But it is an interesting one, just like timing wise, because it was only about six months ago that that TaylorMade was sold to a Korea-based private equity firm. So you got to think. I mean, they're pretty close over there. The the, the new owners. So they probably just wanted to, to make sure that they had their own ball facility right there. Maybe to help help all the guys at the private equity firm, so they can just get more golf balls. <laughs> I, mean, I don't. I don't know. The business is growing. Yeah, it is. TaylorMade's market share in golf balls is growing, and they're just doubling, tripling, quadrupling down and keeping it rocking. Yeah. So this this really makes sense from a strategic standpoint for them. For sure. Yeah. It's uh, it, like I said, it, it's you know, for most people that are you know even like deep in the gear scene, they probably kind of shrug their shoulders. But yeah, it's just it, again just to grow the global footprint for TaylorMade and you know make more golf balls. Why not? Why not? Okay, now's the time. Let's go. We get to announce it. Great interview. We do have a great Big interview. announcement. In person interview this week. Tursky and I are not just like doing vacay in San Diego. No. We're here for a reason. Tacos? We have had a lot of tacos this week. <laughs> yeah. And, Jay, and, and margaritas. loves tacos. What anytime other reason do you by, need? Anytime we, we drive by a restaurant that says tacos, he's like, ooh, tacos. Uh, Puesto in San Diego. Fire tacos. Yes. Good margaritas. It was it was a good spot to, to hit up Tursky and I. And then we then we hit up Ike's today for sandwiches. Tursky had to get his sandwich fixed. It was it had been like a day or two. I need some bread, man. Yeah, he I did need dying. some bread. He need, needs the carbo load. But we're not here for, yeah, for uh, food tastings and reviews. Yeah, we're 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 here because 
we are officially announcing robot testing is back, baby. Robots back in business. Yep. So we have partnered with Foresight. You might be hearing the dulcet tones of one Professor Timmy B in the future, I would I would imagine. Breon's back. Breon is back. <laughs> he is he is back. I know many of you are excited that Professor will, will be in uh, on the pod, I'm sure, in the not-too-distant future. But Gene Parenti, who is Gene Parenti, Tursky? The robot specialist in the entire golf industry. Yeah. I mean, you want robot testing done, you go to Gene Parenti. Yeah. So it's just the facts. It's kind of, it's kind of funny. Gene is, is one of those guys that, that a lot of people don't know, but it's, it is kind of crazy that, that they, people don't know who he is. And we're, we're going to make sure that changes. So Gene is the founder of Golf Laboratories. If you were to go to any of the major equipment manufacturers, TaylorMade, Callaway, all, I mean, all, all, the big, all the big names, they use Gene's robot for testing. So we figured why not just partner with the guy who actually makes the robot. And so we are going to be doing not just driver testing for, for club test, but we're also going to be doing year-round testing with Gene to answer a bunch of questions. I, I would say that this is going to be a very pivotal year for golf, for, for you and for me. We're going to be changing up a lot of things with the way that we deliver gear content, a lot of new insights. And I am uh, I know you are too. We're excited to get working with Gene. And it's perfect time to, to have him on the pod, get to know his background. He's He's got some great stories. He is definitely a storyteller. And to just kind of dig a little bit into like why we're doing robot testing again this year. Be a lot easier to do it in San Diego versus going clear across the, uh, the Pacific to Korea. So that's why we're going to be able to do a lot more year-round testing. So let's get into it. Enjoy. We're live. All right, we are live. All right, well, Tursky, this has been a long time coming, man. We've been waiting for this moment. We have. It's, it is the dawn of a new era for golf's club test. You know, a couple of years back, we tried out robot testing for club tests, and the response was incredibly positive. I think a lot of people liked the fact that you could have robot in addition to player testing. And for us, it was, it was really beneficial because we would let a robot hit the golf clubs, see what the robot said about the you know the toe miss the heel miss out of the center and then when you went and tested with players it was also a great way to marry up that data and see if things checked out it's like we were talking about before it just helps cut that noise it, it does you know, there's a lot of marketing speak there's a lot of spin and we get right down to the facts yeah eliminates all the speculation what really happens when you have a consistent robot to test all the clubs with the same shaft for sure. And so we did our initial testing at Kigos in Korea, and they did a phenomenal job testing all the product. We went through the entire lineup. I mean, drivers all the way through irons. It was it was a, it was a long couple of weeks. Let's just put it that way. Um, the only issue with testing over in Korea is you just can't do it as often as you want. And we had a couple issues with the robot during that time, and that was when the professor was still at, at TrueSpec. Mm-hmm. We made a phone call to a guy. And I, I, I got to be honest. I didn't, I, didn't know who, I didn't know a lot about Gene Parenti at the time. But Tim kept calling Gene up. Like, I, I got to call Gene. I got to call Gene. And I told Tim at one point. I said, Tim, 
if you keep calling this guy who lives in California, why don't we just have him do the robot testing? It would make things a lot easier. And, I'll, and look, it, it's taken a while to get to this point, but it's been well worth it because here with us today, we have the man, Gene Parenti, the founder of Golf Laboratories. He's been in the business since 1990 doing this, robot testing, independent robot testing. Gene, I'm excited, man. You're now in the fold with us. You're, you're. I don't know if this you're is a good it. thing, you, but you're now, you're now latched on to these two crazy yahoos. Well, all I can say is what comes to mind is that line from Ocean's Eleven by Don Cheadle, gentlemen. It's good to be worth working with a proper group of villains. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that is definitely what we are. It is. I love that truck. Yes, it's yes. a good quote. It is. It is a very good quote. It's. I listen. We Tursky and I are, are are beyond pumped for this. The reason why we are here, no big surprise. Gene lives in San Diego. This is this is where his facility is. We're testing the new driver products, and we we will get into a little bit of why robot testing because I feel like this is an important topic. You know, a lot of people will will ask like why like why hit a why have a robot hit it. Because they, they hit it perfect every time, right? So why, why do you need a robot to hit it? We're going to talk about that. But what the first thing I want to do is, for people that don't know who Gene is, I want you to kind of talk a little bit about your introduction to the industry. But be- I guess before that, how the heck did you get into golf? Because there is a cool story here about your dad and kind of how he got into golf. And you don't have to go really long on that one, but I just I think it's kind of cool. Like you are, like you come from a golf family. I I definitely come from a golf family. So uh, I was born in San Jose, California, as was my father. My grandfather came over from Italy, and they ended up immigrating and ended up in San Jose due to the fact that that's where the Italians could work. My dad played a little bit of junior golf and high school golf, and he followed my dad, or sorry, my grandfather into the cannery, which was just the expected way that, you know, those generations went in the 50s. Uh, He was working in the cannery one day, hated it, didn't want to work in the cannery, and the guy next to him was named Wino George, and Wino George worked nine months a year as a caddy, and then he worked three months a year in the cannery when it was too cold in the wintertime. And he turned to my dad one day and said, you play golf, right? And my dad said, yes. And he said, I've got you a uh, job interview at Almaden as the assistant pro tomorrow. Show up in your best slacks. My dad said up until that point in his life, he was T-shirts and blue jeans. And suddenly he showed up. He got the job. He had to spend the next year as a booze runner for Wino George. Anytime, day or night, the caddies would call, and he would have to go to pay off his debt, which he said he did so gratefully. <laughs> so anyways, he, uh, he spent the next 10 years as an assistant pro running um, members down to Pebble and Cyprus on Mondays Rough. to play the course. And he knows them inside and out. Anyways, fast forward. Ken Venturi recommends him for a head pro job down in Palm Springs. When I'm five, we move down to Palm Springs. A very bizarre story, but my dad ends up becoming the head pro of this golf course called Whitewater Country Club that was backed by a holding company that was backed by the mob out of Chicago. (laughs) So my dad basically became golf pro to the mob, and because he had a last name that was Italian, They shared a lot of secrets with him that he told me later in life, but he basically had to teach, you know, mobsters who were going legit how not to drive 
the cart in the sand trap and on the green and things don't like, off anybody as you're, as you're going <laughs> as you're making anybody. the turn from nine to ten exactly like you know just you don't you bury know, people in that bunker. yes you don't bury anybody in the bunker so uh i grew up as a range kid all i do is stripe balls i i'm i'm at the golf course all the time after i graduate from high school my dad leaves he starts a company called hickory stick usa that was a company that had a hickory dowel and a steel shaft in the middle they moved to temecula they were a small little startup company and one day my dad answers the phone cold call this guy named ely calloway had just sold his winery and he was looking to get in the golf industry and he became the major investor in hickory stick usa that became callaway hickory stick and then became callaway golf and my dad was the first president of callaway golf was responsible for the milled putters the s2h2 so this is all going on in the background i'm off at ucla thinking that i'm going to be a diplomat and i'm going to have nothing to do with golf not that i dislike golf but i was going on my own path what and, an amazing dream, by the way. Like, everybody's, you know, yeah. everybody has these dreams. Like, I'm going to be a doctor. NBA. You know, you want to be a professional athlete. I'm be a diplomat. I want to be a diplomat. Yep. Yeah, it was, I, it was. I love it. It was It was a little bizarre, but that, that, was my, that was my dream. So I graduated, moved down to San Diego, and uh, I thought, I'll take a year off work, and um, we'll see, you know, when I take the grad school exams. And my dad said, hey, I've got this idea for this little company. And he was working in the industry at the time for founders. And he said, uh, it, it's an independent testing company. He said, I think there's a need for it. And I was like, all right, I'll do that for six months. And, uh, you know, and then I'll go off to graduate school. So we bought a robot for $100 from Titleist. And when their Kushnet plant was in Oceanside, they literally were throwing the thing away and they laughed at us when we picked it up. It was powered by a garage door spring. <laughs> it was the biggest death trap you've ever seen in your entire life. It would The garage door spring would pull back and it would release and then it would flywheel around like a helicopter and you had to stick your arm in to catch the thing each time Whoa. to get it to stop before it would break the club. But it was accurate and it was consistent. And uh, so I started just dumb as a box of rocks. Didn't know anything about testing of golf equipment or even golf that I thought. But, you know, what I learned through life is what you don't know you can make up for with hard work. And so every day I showed up and every day I learned. And I was really fortunate in that at the time, the big four were Wilson, Spalding, McGregor, and Titleist. I mean, Callaway was a $3 million a year company. Cobra was a $5 million. These were tiny little companies, but they had a thirst for um, knowledge, design, innovation, and the Cold War was ending right then, and there was this mass infusion. This is like 1990. There was this mass infusion of technology into golf, titanium, excuse me, composites, different materials. And so I had a boatload of work, a boatload of curious engineers that this was the only real tool that they could work on. And so kind of started and, you know, I must say I learned every R&D department approached it differently. And so I'd take the best out of each one of them and apply it to my own testing methodology. And then in about 92, um, you know, I look back at this, I was 25 years old and it's just, it just terrifies me to think about it. I decided to build my own robot 
And, you know, if you would ask me to do that now, I'd say there's no way, but sometimes ignorance is bliss. And this was one of the cases. And, uh, I got together with a young engineer. The main machine out there at the time was the Iron Byron, which everybody knows the name of. Very famous. Yeah. Powered by a garage door. or Not, not a garage door spring. That was mine. Sorry. My bad. Uh, this is a burst of air. But, uh, sorry, Byron. <laughs> sorry. Didn't mean to demean Byron. But um, And so I, I built a machine based upon servo motor technology. And it's interesting. The design criteria I had then is the same philosophy I have now. And that's that the one criticism of the Byron and, and my machine, to be honest at the time, was it swung the same way. To kind of answer your, your um, question or thought in the introduction, and what I wanted to design was a machine that could duplicate many different types of swings. Not only a tour player swing, not only quote unquote the perfect swing, I wanted to be able to duplicate the high handicap swing. I wanted to duplicate the guy that came over the top. I wanted to duplicate the guy that came in or, or woman. Either way, I wanted it to be uh, I wanted it to be a criteria of the design that if you could swing a golf club and achieve launch conditions, the robot could duplicate it. And I believe that we achieved that. And in achieving that, what we've been able to do is we can set up a test to duplicate a specific type of player and then see if that club is advantageous for that exact player group. Yeah. And I, I think that just nails it right there. Like we're not simply hitting these drivers out of the center. Um, you know, it's that we're, we're also trying to, to replicate. That's why we, we, we've increased the, the knowledge this year, I, I would say for, for club tests, instead of doing a three point test, which is what we did, with our initial club test, we did which is toe center heel. high high toe low heel and center. Mm-hmm. We're doing nine points this year, and there. I'll be honest when when I when I was talking to Gene and to Tim and they were trying to say, you know, what should we do? Should we do three, five, nine? And I'm like, I mean, let's just do five. It's like a good middle ground. Gene doesn't have to do a lot of work. I mean, five five is <laughs> a lot easier than than nine. And they like they sold me on the benefits of nine, which is you just get a much better picture of, of what that driver is capable of doing, no matter where you're hitting it on the face. And and it's as look as we've seen, uh, you know, and I'm not going to give anything away. We'll we'll talk about kind of the the data and what we saw in, in a future podcast. But there were some eye opening drivers, and I, I, I look, I'm never going to say anything about nine ever again. Nine signs the way to go. Well, yep. the, the the key to nine is um, you're you're getting all that the engineering team put into it, and That's a good and, way of and, saying and, it. and and you're you know they they put a lot of time and effort, and especially with that surface area of that face, and you know I've had tour players tell me, hey, don't let anybody you know. Uh, mislead you we hit it all over the face too you know we're not perfect i mean in for the most part their their strike position is consistent but under pressure under fatigue they hit it all over as well and they want those same performance advantages that the average player does and the average player definitely hits it all over the face and to see nine points gives you the ability to see what the overall design criteria of the club is. Not necessarily if you hit it on the screws, because 
I mean, that's like, you know, judging your work based on the best day that you had. And, you know, the reality is you want the totality of your work experience. It's kind of the same thing. You want the totality of performance of that club to be able to look at that. And more importantly, to be able to recommend that to a specific type of player. Yeah. I should also point out for those that that I'm sure are wondering, like, okay, why why Gene's Robot? So you've how many robots that that you've your, your robot? How many have you sold worldwide? We've sold over fifty worldwide. They're used by every major manufacturer, the USGA, the RNA, the two governing bodies of golf. The only company, you know, full disclosure that does not use my robot because they built their own is Ping. Yep. Uh, but other than that, every major manufacturer has at least one, and some like Callaway have up to four machines of mine that they use for ball testing for club testing it is the industry standard um for equipment testing why don't they make their own robot why do they use yours like what's your specialty why is it different if 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 i wasn't here they probably would have made their own but i you know their business is selling golf equipment their business is not making robots so i i saw a um i saw an opportunity 28 years ago and took it and fortunately you know i i keep up with the technology and the service so they've you know continued to utilize and purchase new models of my machine um but that's a good question i mean ping for example built theirs before i started selling robots so they saw a need and there wasn't a market out there that they could purchase it so but you know from a cost benefit analysis you know, you would have to hire engineers and, and, and it would probably cost you five, eight times as much as to purchase one from me. Kind of going back to your start and working with robots, you you came into the game at like such an interesting time because there were so many technological advancements that were happening so quickly, like persimmon, steel, titanium. I mean, you saw all these and you were testing that equipment. Like what were those mind blowing moments that you saw where it was like, oh my God, the industry's about to change with this. Well, it, you know, the, the first one, without a doubt, was Dick Helmstetter, who at the time was the president of Callaway Golf, and Callaway was a small company at this time. He used to drive the clubs out in his BMW and sit at the polo field with me in a lounge chair and, or a you know, fold-out chair and watch the balls get hit. This is the president of the company literally watching it, and one day he comes out, pops his trunk, comes over and goes, you're the first person to see this, to test this. We're going to call this the Big Bertha. <laughs> and I looked at it, and being the genius that I was at 25, I was like, gimmicky name, hokey product. I give it six months in the marketplace. So. <laughs> don't, Most don't, iconic don't, driver. Don't, don't, don't come looking to me for stock tips. But, uh, <laughs> but in defense, I was testing simultaneously with this guy named Duke Duclos. And Duke Duclos owned a company called Slotline. And this this is going back in the 90s, but he had a really popular putter. And Duke was a, back to the idiosyncrasies of the industry, Duke was a professional gambler. And when he couldn't make payroll, he would go to Vegas and gamble all weekend and come back with money to make payroll. But, I mean, this was the kind of character that he was. But he designed a driver 
that was hollow and had a plastic back and all of the weight was up front and it was a true perimeter weighted driver and he was testing it at the same time as the big bertha and it actually outperformed the big bertha but he did not have the marketing dollars and he did not have the timing and he was out of the industry in six in six months so i learned something then that yes the product is critical the product has to work but it's how you deliver the product to the marketplace Mm -hmm. that is really really important and i've seen I've seen that probably five or six times since where products were either ahead of their time or they just weren't marketed correctly and they just didn't succeed. And sometimes it was not due to performance, but due to sound or due to, you know, the, the perception of it. So it, it, I've had an interesting window seat over the last 32 years in the golf industry, not only watching it rise, but seeing who succeeded and who's failed as they've tried. And then as some companies like Callaway's a classic example, they had just meteoric success, then they plateaued, then they started going backwards, and now they're back on the upswing again. Taylor made the same way, and I've watched these companies go up and down um, and change. I mean, another you know, kind of classic example in the industry was the C4 from Callaway. Callaway came out with an all composite head. And the first time I tested it, I thought my robot was broken. It was five miles an hour slower in ball speed than anything else in the marketplace at the time. Slower. And at the time, Callaway had this massive R&D department. And I thought, I must be doing something wrong. There's no way that this R&D department could, you know, release something that was this slow. Now it had great per- perimeter weighting that the composite allowed, but the actual and this was before uh, CT or COR or any of the rebound kind of knowledge that we had, but the the composite technology at the time was absorbing energy and not transferring it and it was just slower. And it ended up not succeeding in the marketplace because of that. You mentioned just a couple of guys who who had successful products, and they just it just didn't work out. And like timing's everything, and, and no matter what what industry you're in. But what would you attribute your like long term longevity in, in this industry to? I mean, you've been in it for for a, I mean since 1990. What what kind of do you attribute to being able to have like seen all the different technological changes and to kind of be able to to hang around and still be the the top dog in in your area? You know, I, I I'll tell you a story. Uh, 2000, um, I was uh, sitting with a friend of mine who was a reporter, and um, we were sitting there. And he was a bright guy, would go on to become the reporter for the Washington Post. And we were sitting in his backyard, and he was a reporter for the Baltimore Sun at the time. And we both said, you know, the internet, it's going to have its place and everything in the world, but newspapers aren't going anywhere. They're here to stay. (laughs) Obviously. I've been wrong, by the way, more times than I've been right in my life, but that's another story. But the reason I bring that up is, and the reason I think for my longevity is, 
I've been willing to admit I was wrong, but more importantly, I've always tried to stay intellectually curious. And so that moment was a moment where I realized that I was looking at the world from a 35-year-old up, not a 35-year-old down. Now I creep my kids out when I ask them what the TikTok trends are or if WhatsApp <laughs> is still happening. And they're just like, stop asking me, Dad. That's really creepy. And I'm like, can I look at your thing? And they're like, no, you're just really freaking me out. But the, the point is, you have to stay intellectually curious. You have to stay on top of technology. You have to, and and you cannot get set in your ways. And um, every single time that I am, and it's 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 something that you have to fight as you age. It's that get off my lawn mentality that your world becomes smaller. I mean, it literally is like you just have to be conscious of it all the time. But what I try to do is when someone approaches me with an idea, even if I know what the answer is, I will try to, you know, kind of look at it and, and if, if, if necessary, even test it to try to understand because I am still learning at this point. So I'm, I'm hoping that that desire for uh, knowledge and being intellectually curious has allowed me to stay relevant versus... You know, it, I mean, I could have easily years ago gone, all right, there's just one swing. There's a golf laboratory swing. You're going to come, you're going to test, you know, you're going to test the equipment. It's either going to pass or fail. And I probably would have been out of business if I did that. But what I realized was there is no one swing because there's no one golfer because we all approach and swing differently. And that's what I love about this era that we're in right now. And what I love about the robot is we finally have devices like the GC quad that we're using that show exact head delivery and exact um, launch conditions of the ball as it leaves. I can duplicate those. And so now I can go in and duplicate your swing, Jonathan, your swing, Andrew, and, and, and look at it. And then I can show you, okay, Here's your swing. Now let's put another head on. You, you're, you're a little spinny. Let's put this head on. And and literally, I mean, we're doing it, obviously, you're here for a macro level, but I can do it on a micro level. I can fit an individual player. And we've done it with tour players. We've literally duplicated their swings and then, be able, and then put different heads, different balls, different shafts to get their exact window. And then more importantly, we can duplicate their miss. Nobody wants to duplicate their miss because that's that's something that's uncomfortable and they don't want to groove that. The robot doesn't care. We duplicate the miss and then show what the equipment does to correct the miss. What is the wildest creation you've ever tested? One that it just like showed up at your place and you're just like, what What the hell is this? Uh, I've had a, quite a few, but I had one a few years ago. I can't name the company because it's confidential, but they came out with a full-blown non-conforming club full-blown like everything about it was non-conforming and it was wild it was really really wild. it was wild for a number of different reasons it was wild um to see it was wild because it was testing a lot of the kind of my preconceived notions of the physics of what would happen when you started like getting real high ball velocities off of a off of a uh, a club face but it was also wild because it showed, at least with this design, that even if the governing bodies took the regulator off, there's kind of limits to what a golf ball can do, from especially at 
quote unquote, you know, average swing speeds, 95 miles an hour. If you get up to 120, you know, we were talking about it. You know, the sick joke of this industry is the um, the people that benefit the most from any performance advantage in a golf club are those who need it the least. The guys that swing 130, 140 miles an hour, whereas someone who swings 70 or 80 and can use every single yard, they don't get much advantage, unfortunately, and it's just due to physics. They're not generating enough club head speed to see big differentials between equipment. How far was that driver going? How it much was up there. They... It was up there about 15, 20 yards at about 80, 85 miles an hour. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was... That's a big increase. Yeah, it was... It was... Yeah, it was interesting. It was very interesting. As someone who, uh, who tests golf clubs for a living, you're the robot guy. It's like you're the holder of truth. And, you know, we, we all want to test every single product. We're all not very good. But, you know, you have the real information. Without giving too much away, um, what are some of like the miscon- misconceptions that amateur golfers may have about golf equipment in general? Where it would be like if they show up to your facility, you could be like, "Hey, watch this." Well, I, I can say one thing that you know, all designers in the golf equipment industry um, every day they face one of the most formidable foes imaginable every time they go to design a golf club. And this foe is so just omnipresent and rock solid and dead set that it's almost impossible to overcome. And that's the male ego. (laughs) 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 And women women listening are like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) They're like truth to power on that one. But, uh, the you know the reality is uh and i think launch monitors and you know that's obviously a joke but there's quite a bit of truth to that but uh launch monitors are helping in that regard that you know a guy swinging 90 miles an hour thinks he needs a nine degree s flex and because he played a nine degree s flex when he was 25 and now he's 60 and he's not you know he's just can't quite come to grips with the fact that he's not 25 anymore and he's still playing with it. And so, uh, so much of it are preconceived notions from our youth. And the reality is if you allow the technology to guide your equipment purchases, meaning let the technology define what your optimals are and don't look at what the number is on the club or what the flex is or even what the weight is. Just, you know, there was there's a there's a saying that I strongly believe in, play the lightest, most flexible thing that you can, you know, get away with. Now, get away with is a loose term because this gets out of testing and this gets into scoring. Get away with if you're drinking six beers on a Saturday is different than get away with if you're trying to shave one to two strokes off your round to become a single digit player. Um, but you know, from an enjoyment standpoint, you want something uh, that's easy to swing and gets the ball in the air. And those are the main two things. And and it's most amateur golfers they they have a couple of tendencies. One, they swing too hard, um, and two, they have a tendency of throwing the club. And as they throw the club, they hit down on the ball, and that's why the ball goes out low and leaks to the right. And so. Every one of these manufacturers knows this, 
And then they try to design around that to, you know, kind of create that. But if you don't get buy-in from the player, it doesn't matter what the manufacturers are designing. Okay. So you mentioned just trying to have like a younger mindset and, and just to remain open-minded. And I, I wonder, you know, as technologies change, I'm sure the robot that you created has, has gone through some, some changes as well. How, how has it changed over the years and, and is, I mean, it's got to be different from the first version that you oh, first ab- came out Oh, absolutely. With. So I look back on the first versions, and they were basically kind of head delivery systems, I'll call them. And what I didn't know at the time, so backing up even further, back to my spring generator robot, I started out, and all I had was a couple of light gauges to measure head speed and ball speed and butcher paper to hit a ball through. I'm and then, glad you're telling this story because this I, is amazing. And then I had this crazy grid, this wire grid of one-inch squares that Eric Loper, who's now uh, head of ball R&D at Callaway, but he was a young engineer at TaylorMade, came out and said, hey, this is how we're measuring balls. And you had to put your chin in this thing so you couldn't move your head, and then you'd get this peak trajectory <laughs> But unbelievable. You know, oh, oh, and, it's amazing. No, 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 no. We're talking calculators and pencils and for every and two guys in the field measuring where the ball landed and rolled to. And it would take me three hours just to crunch the data because I mean, so much of dinosaur I am. This was back when personal computers were not omnipresent. So started then, uh, developed this machine. One of the things that I did not understand in the first maybe 10, 15 years was angular velocity. And what I mean by that is we, so all three of us could have 105 miles an hour club head speed, but how we get that club head speed can be totally different. One of us can cast early, but he's just a mongo who comes through. One of us is kind of smooth who comes here, and one of us just drives and snaps his wrist coming through and is the most efficient we all could have 105 miles an hour club head speed. The launch monitor measures 105 miles an hour club head speed. But if I give you your my shaft or you give me your shaft, we can't hit it because we either leave it right or we snap hook it left. And the reason for that is we all accelerate differently. And it wasn't until um, maybe about 10 years ago, I was at the Royal and H in, in St. Andrews talking with Dr. Steve Otto, and he was showing me um, uh, photo-based capture data showing that how the robot swung versus a human. And I realized the robot actually swung like a high handicap player, that the arm was traveling almost as fast as the wrist or the club. And I realized at that point, wow, this is not a biomechanical model. So we went back to the drawing board at that point. And now not only can we duplicate head delivery information, but we can also duplicate shaft acceleration. And so now we can test shafts, how shafts load, how they're delivered, which there's still a lot of mystery to, but it's it's really, really interesting. And then to, to kind of further that, with launch monitors and now being able to look at different delivery based on different players, we're now able to map clubs with inside out and outside in swings and see what side spin does. And all of these different components that in the beginning, we just, uh, you know, I, I just didn't have enough of a knowledge base to grasp. And now I'm, I'm trying to push the frontier to 
make the machine all inclusive from a testing model standpoint. So if a human can swing it, we can duplicate it and then we can model that. Have you ever done a test and you've gotten some sort of like eureka moment or insights and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to go try that myself. Oh yeah. I got to go. I got to go see if I can like replicate that because that could be good for my game. Emergency range session. Yeah. Well, the, 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 you know, the one that comes to mind was, um, and this was about eight to 10 years ago, I started looking at angle of attack and, uh, uh, had a client in Japan and they wanted me to launch a five iron at like 12 degrees and, you know, standard amateur five irons probably launching at 19, 18, 19 tours about maybe 16. This was one of their tour players that just hit so hard down on the ball. And, uh, so I'm watching this and this five iron, and I've got about the same club head speed is carrying 30 yards further than my five iron. So to your point, I went out and, and I, and I was looking at my, and so the attack angle was like negative eight or nine or something crazy like that. My attack angle at the time was negative two. So I got up to negative seven and all of a sudden I'm carrying the ball like two Oh five and I'm sticking greens and I, you know, with these low just darts that rise at the end and drop it. I'm like, I'm a tour player. I, I I've got something <laughs> Until my first miss, and my first miss went 70 yards, and then my next one went 230 yards when I sculled it, and suddenly I realized I don't have four to five hours a day to practice this and to get to that point, and the level of accuracy. So it was an interesting moment because I saw the promised land, I got a glimpse of the promised land, and then they showed me the big canyon between me and the promised land. And I realized that that was insurmountable. So sometimes you can see things. And here's another classic example. Uh, um, probably the optimal launch conditions to hit a, a driver as far as you can is 17 degree launch, 1700 spin. And, and there's some debate about that. I but was almost there when we were in Austin. I was at like 17 launch and 2000 spin. You launch it high. Yeah, yeah well, you, so you, you were close, but your attack angle was probably like, what, five? And for the listeners, that means you're swinging up on the ball so hard. And my analogy is if you're going to punch someone, you want to punch them like right here, right? Because you're guaranteed to hit them 100% of the time. And what I'm doing is just a quick jab. If you want to knock someone out, you pull the haymaker from way back. Well, that's kind of the 17-17. If you hit them, you're going to knock them out. But you're also most likely going to miss them half the time <laughs> as you go through. And the reason is you're playing that ball so far forward to get those. And so many more things can go wrong. So it's kind of like... You know, uh, the the digging and, uh, you know, comparison, yes, you can achieve that, but the risk-reward is, is, is not going to be worth it, especially if you're playing for money or trying to get into a tournament or, you know, something because your timing is going to have to be so exact to maintain that. And under pressure, that's going to be a really difficult swing. And, you know, this is it, – it's funny. As I age and look at different swing types – that's why I realize guys like Dustin Johnson, guys like John Rahm, they play the power fade. 
they are strong guys They're and they strong. and they can hit the ball a long way but they choose not to why because they want to go find the ball and they want to have their next shot and they've learned that and it's in you know from a robot perspective we can set up 17 17 now granted 17 1700 our deviation will probably be twice as much as it would be with a slight Outside in, open, maybe spinning at 2,800. So the more a ball spins, the more it will track. So we could probably at least have the deviation or the dispersion. But more importantly, a robot can hit both shots consistently. A human, uh, one shot they can hit consistently and the other shot that they can't. I should point out that the first ball that I hit while trying to go after it, I topped. Top. So Cold yeah. top. there yeah. we go. There's there there's trying to try to pull off the haymaker and yeah. completely whiffing. <laughs> well it's it's you know it's it's wild because uh you know it's the same thing with like swinging inside out. You swing inside out you can hit some of these huge arcing bombs and if you get the peak trajectory high enough you will get a shallow descent angle and go to the left. That and on a firm fairway you'll hit the ball 20, 30 yards further, but you will also hit it 100 yards left if you're, you know, off by half a degree or degree. So it's 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 wild to look at potential and then look at the risk-reward aspect of that potential. You test products, all sorts of products, golf balls, tees, shafts, club heads, and you also test different swing parameters, whether it's inside out, outside in, angle of attack. For an amateur golfer who's maybe trying to pick that low-hanging fruit of 10 extra yards, what's the easiest way to get it? Uh, or the I, best way to get it? I'd say a twofold. Uh, one is if they have directional issues to straighten it out. Because anytime you straighten it out, anytime you're landing the ball in the fairway as opposed to the rough, uh, you're going you're gonna to roll further. So if you're hitting it to the right and leaking it to the right, Find draw bias products. Find products that you know um, can get you that. The second is usually, usually in general, most amateur golfers need more loft. Um, and third, uh, especially golfers over fifty, go to a lighter shaft. Ten grams matters. Ten grams, and you know it's all a function once again of club head speed. But if you're at 90 miles an hour and you get a 10 gram lighter shaft, you're probably going to get four to five yards more distance just out of the shaft. And there are the beauty of composite technology now. It used to be if you went lighter, they just turned into whippy messes that were really tough to time. But because of the advancements in, in materials, you can get lighter shafts that are structurally just as strong or as firm as heavier shafts are. I know we were talking about T-Style when we were out there uh, at the robot facility. Now, T's matter, T's do matter. T's do matter. And I know there's going to be a lot of eye rolls when they hear that, but hear me out from an explanation standpoint. So everything we do... And a golf swing is on an arc. We hit down on the ball, and then we hit square at 6 o'clock, and then we swing up on the ball. And the reason for that is we have to swing about ourselves as humans, and that's the way that we swing. Tees do not matter if you hit up on the ball. So if you have a positive attack angle, meaning that you know, you're swinging up when you make contact, the ball is generally lifting off of the tee, 
But for most amateur players, they hit down on the ball. And think of a wooden tee. You've got a big surface area. And when that ball is being... And here's how you can tell as an amateur golfer, if you hit down or up on the ball, if your tee breaks or if it goes flying forward. If it goes flying forward, chances are you hit up on the ball. If it breaks when you hit it, chances are you're hitting down on the ball. And if you're hitting down on the ball... um, what we found is the less surface area on the golf ball means the less friction, means less backspin, and that less backspin can um, equate to about two to four yards. That's a pretty easy way to get some distance right there, literally just changing the tee that you buy. Assuming you can actually hit the golf ball, which... It- well you got to hit the golf ball. <laughs> it's, it's, you got to make contact. you gotta, you got you to gotta, you gotta make contact. Any, any distance is uh, longer than zero. Yes, so, yeah. yes, 100%. And if you hit down on the ball, look at some of these tees that have minimal contact points because uh, they will give you a little bit more benefit, you know. And every every amateur golfer can use every yard that, you know, that they can t- that they can be given. Can you name drop tees or no? I got to stay independent and neutral on that. But (laughs) it it, it doesn't take much to go out there. Anytime you're at a pro shop, just look. And if you see tees that have minimal contact points, i.e. prongs or anything like that, you're probably going to be happy with your purchase. Okay. That was well said right there. That was very well said. All right. Last question for me. This always goes back. I, I call it the chicken or the egg situation you know I've, I've talked to golfers before and they've always some of them will tell me you know what man i love this i love this driver head it's the best thing i could put any shaft in this head mm-hmm. and i'm still gonna hit it great and i've had other golfers say you know what man i've got this shaft in my driver and i'll play it in any driver and i can guarantee yeah. you that i'm gonna hit it great now you've you've you're an independent tester so you test driver heads driver shafts through your your testing and research, what have you found is more important? If a golfer was going to prioritize one, they've only got the budget to buy a really good shaft to match up with their game or a driver head that, that fits their game. Which one would you prioritize? I, I'd say the driver head because the driver head gives you the most benefits. Um, the shaft is definitely important, but the shaft comes down to what I'll call incremental change, you know, uh, a half a degree of face angle coming into impact or half to three quarters, maybe even a a full degree, which matters if you're swinging a hundred miles an hour, but the driver can be two to three degrees and it can be a thousand RPM, whereas a shaft can be two to 300 RPM. So the shaft is important, but if, um, if you really want to get optimized the driver head now to your point though it's really fascinating and this is what we're finding in being able to finally quantify this angular velocity is what we're finding is uh 105 miles an hour is i use that example is not 105 miles an hour is not 105 miles an hour for the three of us that how you load the shaft is critical and how that shaft is delivered is critical so that's where some of the magic is and that's where we're excited to kind of move forward is to develop models angular velocity models where we can now not only take the players deliver our impact information but their acceleration information it's a solvable um it's a solvable issue we just have to be able to collect data to to solve that issue 
Now we talk about nine-point testing, but this is just a three-point testing question. This is the last question. Center hit versus toe hit versus heel hit. Can you just kind of describe the ball flight differences and the distance loss, like in general, not talking any specific driver, just drivers in general? What do you see from a robot perspective with a square face? So, good question. Um, uh, a lot of it, it's depending on the design criteria of the driver. Um, a lot of drivers are set up um, for a toe hit square to go maybe about maybe 10 yards right with very little side spin on it. And heel hits start out about maybe 10, 15 yards left and have a little bit of gear effect and will come back to about maybe seven or eight yards. And it's, it's really interesting. Um, and you can always see when you hit a toe shot, if you're swinging square, the ball will look a little blocked and you can see the heel shot because it will leak a little right. Now where it gets interesting is those clubs are really beneficial for a player that swings inside out because both of those characteristics aid the dreaded left miss. And so they're really advantageous. Um, the draw products that we see for the most part, the overall bias will be to the left on those, without a doubt. And so, and it can be up to 10, 15 yards. So, with the static face angle to the uh, weight location of the mass to it's called gear effect, but basically it's side spin of how the golf ball travels. All of the um, physical components of the head will be lined up to draw the ball. There's a few not many fade base clubs for the for the player that's really snap hooking but they're kind of unicorns in the in the grand you know universe of equipment um uh, uh purchasers so i i'd say overall uh the the main things that you know um, Jonathan, back to your question, and sorry I'm meandering on this one, but uh, the, the, the main things that you can get in a driver head are launch and spin characteristics, which are huge, and directional components, which are huge. Because all of those add not only to overall distance on a dead straight shot, but they improve your overall distance by being able to hit the fairway and to correct for whatever um, mischaracteristic that you have. There we go. Man, that was fun. So much fun. And I mean, we could just pepper him with questions. We, we could, but I, that, my thing but is I'm going to. I want to <laughs> say I want to save some for for down the road because Gene's going to be a regular staple on the podcast going forward as we conduct tests. Like I said, we're not just going to be doing robot with driver with Gene. This is this is a a regular thing that we're going to be doing. So, partnership. Yeah, it is partnership a partnership between golf.com and Gene Parente to give uh, the golf.com audience a look behind the scenes at the facts we've got some fun stuff coming i, I don't i don't want to i don't want to i want to spoil it but don't I won't. don't spoil it i won't i know gene won't because <laughs> because because gene's that kind of guy but anyway gene thank you it's a lot of fun it was so a pleasure fun. thank you gentlemen and that'll do it for episode 115 of fully equipped if you're looking for more gear news you can always check us out on social media we're at fully underscore equipped on twitter at fully equipped golf on instagram are we at fully equipped golf on tiktok at Fully Equipped Golf on TikTok. We got some new content up there. Well, not that new. <laughs> it's, it's with Kyle Berkshire from like two weeks ago. But Thanks for telling that. Yep. 
So you check can all yeah, go check it out. And there's a a fail um, trick shot. The kids call it fail, epic fail. I think that's what the kids call it. With uh, the Formula One racer Charles Leclerc and Coach Rusty, the trick shot specialist, they uh, had a little incident with one of those brick slabs. Didn't go great. They, you can check did. it out on TikTok. All right, Chris made it through the entire episode without getting mauled by a mountain lion. That's a big win. So let's see if we can keep this week of positivity going. Hurry up and wrap it up. There we go. Thanks so again for true. listening. <laughs> see you around. Yeah.